Okay, January finds us, as I've been saying, at our third principle in our journey of learning through this year. The principle is faithfulness and failure, facing what you cannot control, what God wants. From the end of Genesis 39 and then uh, chapter 40 in the life of Joseph. Silence and time are the protagonists in the story, this piece of it. God has much to teach us through silence and time. So we went, I took you to Jeremiah 18, to the lesson of the potter. And there we learned that he is the potter and we are the clay. And so we have to consider what is the process of this potter and his clay, preparing the clay, slapping, manipulating it, getting it ready so there's no air in it, so it won't explode when it's fired. And then there's the centering of the clay, the bracing and getting it just where it's supposed to be. And then forming it and spinning and pressure and stretching and breaking off parts maybe that shouldn't be there. And and then time. Just sitting and drying for the longest time. And then being put in the fire and Dealing with all the heat and then coming out and then the, the glazing and preparing and then the firing again and then finally it's useful. Well, that's all great intellectually. Yeah, 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 fine, I get that. You know, God's working to accomplish what He wants. It's all good until it hurts, right? We're digging into some applications here and of this particular principle. And last week we talked about the silence of God, our own personal struggle with that. I'd like to move beyond that now to the big problem. The problem of evil. Why the bad if He's good? Why the pain? And as I said, this Saturday we'll wrestle with it again. So I encourage you to be here, 6 o'clock. Great things in store. Next week, we're going to talk about those worse off than ourselves in the persecuted around the world. Now, let me offer a disclaimer on trying to deal with this issue of why evil or uh, the problem of pain. We've got three issues here. First of all, we've got the difficulty of the issue. Secondly, we've got a limited amount of time. And most importantly, you've got the limited ability of the person standing in front of you. And I don't say that to evoke a chuckle. I say it because it's true. This issue is way beyond me done my work. You're going to be trying to sip out of a fire hydrant this morning. Um, But I got some answers answers to that because I'm getting a lot of help uh, in a manageable, concise, and very astutely intelligent handling of the subject by Norm Geisler. There's a QR code in your in your um, in your notes right there. I got to take a smart your smartphone. It'll take you right to the vendor. 9.99. The book's yours. It's not even that big. It's a really really good handling of this subject. Um, you wouldn't even have to read the whole book. Actually, three quarters of it deals with that. He's got a number of interesting appendices at the end. I really really like the way this man biblically, godly, and powerfully handles this issue. So. I'm taking from him. Uh, you read this book, you'll find a lot of stuff familiar. Uh, I'm giving him credit, and, uh, and you'll see that as I do so. But you know what? You say, I'm not even a reader. I don't care. You keep mentioning these books. Guess what? Take the title, YouTube it, and in 35 minutes you can watch the guy. Okay? So it's really easy. I really want you to wrestle with this because you should. Because you've got people asking you this question. And you're asking the question yourself. And some of the things I'm going to share with you in a hurry now as we move along, you've heard. Um, I trust I'm going to make it in a way that's manageable for you. Some of it you may not have heard before, and particularly at the end. So let's jump into this. I'd like you to imagine 
A giant sphere is our illustration today right here. It's invisible for a reason. I didn't go get a big sphere this time. I got a reason why I want it to be invisible. But here it is. It's contained. It's a huge sphere. And that's going to help us be tangible and practical as we move through this. So first of all, we have to recognize the existence of evil. That it actually offers hope in that it confirms that there is ultimate good. It definitely exists. Some people try and explain it away. There are certain religions that are based on that. It's really just something that you're dreaming up. If you'll just think positively and do this and do that, you can get rid of it. It doesn't really exist. No, it really does exist. And uh, as a matter of fact, it's used by God to lead us to an understanding of Him. We only know what is bad because we have experienced what is better. If I ask you to close your eyes, you will see darkness. How do you know that's darkness? Because a moment ago, your eyes were open and you knew what light was. And so, as a matter of fact, we are all wired to understand that there is a perfect standard, always greater than anything we've ever seen or experienced. The very existence of evil underscores this fact. And as a matter of fact, it's what led the famous Christian apologist and author C.S. Lewis to the Lord himself. He says, when I was an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how... How had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man doesn't call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a line that is straight. And we see Paul touch on this very issue in his famous uh, struggle uh, with sin in Romans chapter 7. It's actually through the law that he discovered what is truly evil that affirms his need to cry out to what is wholly good. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The very existence of this tells me there is something else. So immediately we must recognize that it exists, and even its existence tells us there is something else greater to be sought. Now let me continue to move. This sphere now, if we switch the slides, you see is a different kind of sphere. The nature of evil. Evil is not a thing. Evil is a privation or a corruption, the lack, in a good thing. God created all things, and all things were good. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Everything was good, and man actually was very good. God created all things good. Our movies, books, stories have convinced us to drink a certain Kool-Aid. And that's represented by that symbol that I have an X through up there, called the Tau, or the yin and the yang. The idea of that symbol is that there is good and there is evil. They are equally counter-opposed. And as a matter of fact, the little dots in each field show you that there's a little bit of bad in the good and there's a little bit of good in the bad. And that is a Kool-Aid we were never supposed to drink. Good and evil are not equally counter-opposed. They are not equal and they do not have a little of both in them. Instead, Geisler illustrates evil this way. It is a wound on an arm. It is rust on a car. It is a hole in a garment. It is the rot in a tree. It does not exist in and of itself. It is the corruption of what is good. Now, why is that important? That's important because it was not created. And so, somebody asks the question, well, who created evil? It's the wrong question. It wasn't created. We'll get to where it came from in a minute. 
But the, and, and, and we're going to go there, but I want you to understand some things that are essential um, out of this truth. It's essential to understand because there was a time when it did not exist, and there will be a time and can be a time when it is conquered, corrected, and dealt with. God is not implicated, implicated in it because He permits it, but He does not promote it, perform it, or participate in it. He can be and is separate from it, and it can exist without His being the author of it. That's very, very important. So then, where does it come from? The origin of evil. We move to another uh, image that I'm giving you, which is that of a, a dotted line around the circle. Please change the slide. As Geisler explains, freedom is a good thing. No one argues that freedom is a bad thing, right? And as a matter of fact, if you argue that freedom is a bad thing, you are exercising that very freedom to argue that. Nobody argues that freedom is a, a bad thing. It's a good thing. But free will makes evil possible because it means the power to do otherwise. The origin of evil is found in free will. Hence, a free creature can do evil. And as a matter of fact, that's exactly what happened. There's an interesting inference to this in 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul is speaking about the qualifications of a leader of a church, but he implies something very, very important. He says that you shouldn't pick a leader that is a novice, that is a young person who's young in their faith because, he says, he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. See the inference there? The devil became conceited and entered into sin brought it about. The same thing is told of us in James chapter 1. Each one by his own evil desire is dragged away and enticed. Desire conceived gives birth to sin. So allow me to read from uh, Geisler where he says, thus sin was born in the breast of an archangel in the presence of God. A stunningly beautiful and extremely powerful creature fell when he made himself rather than God the object of adoration. God created all only good things. One good thing He made was free will. A good being with the good power of free will chose to put His will over God. And therefore, who caused Lucifer to sin? No one else did. He was the cause of His own sin. Sin is a self-caused action caused by one's self. Hence, it is meaningless to ask who caused Lucifer to sin as it is meaningless to ask, who made God? No one made God. He's the unmade maker. And Lucifer is the maker of his own sin. So the dotted line now in the sphere that I have here is to represent the fact that once it did not exist, but was caused by the possibility that is implicit to true free will, a good thing given by God. So, we've wrestled a little bit with the uh, existence of evil, the nature of evil, and the origin of evil. Now let's move to what is a little more practical. The persistence of evil. How come it has to keep going? Here's the promise. It will stop. It just hasn't stopped yet. 
Existence, yep. Nature, okay. Origin, acceptable. But why does it have to continue? If he is an all-powerful God, couldn't he bring it to an end? You told me it's a non-thing, but the non-thing is real and it hurts. How come it has to continue? God has chosen to create free creatures, thus the potential for evil. To destroy all evil would mean destroying freedom, which is good, and which he has decided to create. God will not do the impossible. That is, contradicting what he has done that is good. Listen to Geisler and Lewis. Given that he has willed to create free creatures, it would go against his own will to destroy our free will. Lewis says this, I would pay any price to be able to say truthfully, all will be saved. But my reason retorts, without their will or with it? If I say without their will, I at once perceive a contradiction. How can the supremely voluntary act of self-surrender be involuntary? But if I say with their will, my reason replies, how will they if they don't give in? You see, there are some things even God cannot do. He cannot force anyone to freely accept Him. Forced freedom is a contradiction in terms. And that's why Jesus said these very words in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. But to stop here would assume that this is the final word. It's not. What God can do is conquer evil, and He will. He promises that. What we are dealing with now is simply that it has not yet happened. It will stop hurting, just not yet. In fact, we end up with an even better world where evil, which has to be potentially possible, is eventually conquered. And the promise comes in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So its persistence is real. And it will be conquered, not yet. But of course that leads to the question, well then why? What's the purpose of him allowing it to persist? So we turn to the purpose of evil. And here I suggest that knowing the purpose is different than there being a purpose. In other words, just because you can't know the purpose of evil doesn't mean that there isn't a reason and a purpose for evil. We can return to uh, Joseph on this one in in Genesis chapter 50, the end of the story, which we'll get to in the spring, where he ends up looking at his brothers and saying, you intended it for good, but I 
sorry. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Same word, God can, through purposeful use, take evil and use it for his purposes. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We can know the person of purpose of some kinds of pain. Just because we do not know all the purpose does not mean that there is no purpose. If we believe that our God is good and loving and offering the best possible world, then we can trust Him that His purposes are good whether we understand them or not. How can we do that? Because we can see some purposes to pain. Geisler offers three lessons. Pain is designed to keep us from self-destruction. Burning your hand on the hot stove is a bad thing. But because you burned your hand, you kept from incinerating your whole body and burning your whole house down. Because we can recognize the purpose of some kinds of pain to protect us from something worse, we can recognize that pain has a purpose, whether we understand all of those reasons or not. In order to save us from self-destruction, it has to be strong enough. And in order for pain to work, it must be out of our control. He's got a very interesting thing in there and a study of a leper colony. They feel no pain and then they injure themselves and that's where their infection and disease and amputations end up coming from. It's a neurological problem, so they they wire them with different things so that they'll warn them when they're hurting themselves and it gets so annoying to them, they just turn it off and they hurt themselves anyway. Because if we had the opportunity, we would turn it off. The cross, as a matter of fact, represents and illustrates this. It created a means for God to offer an end to destruction. It seemed like an evil thing, and it is. It was. But it served a purpose. Our salvation. It had to be strong enough to to offer a complete death on the cross. He had to be able to substitute himself completely for us. And it had to be out of Jesus' control, but under the Father's control. And that's what sacrifice is all about. So it persists because it has a purpose. But there's one last question that I want to get to that has built up all the way to this. And this is one that I hear in my office a lot and in conversations with you. I love my children. If I knew that they were going to hurt themselves, I would step in and stop it. Why didn't God do that? Couldn't God have done better? This is the concept of the avoidability of evil. And here I represent it in a square. We've had a sphere, right? It exists, and, it, and then the, the, the round tau, and, and then the, the dotted line, because it once upon didn't, time didn't exist, right? And then there's a question mark, well, what's the purpose of it? And, and then the persistence, you know, it continues to be there. Maybe we don't need a sphere. Let's make a square and do it differently. Couldn't God have done that? I can think of something better. Why couldn't he have thought of something better? Isn't that a really good question? Yeah, you you, you got to okay, we got to watch the YouTube, you got to read the book because what I'm going to tell you right now is going to mess with your mind. Okay. In fact, I want you first of all to listen to Geisler himself. So let's listen. This is not the best of all possible worlds. Voltaire was right in his book Candide, but it may be the best way to the best world. Evil has to be permitted to be defeated. You can't defeat the champion unless you get in the ring with him. God had to permit evil to destroy evil. Permitting evil is necessary to produce higher goods. No courage without danger. You can't produce patience without tribulation. My buddy said, uh, Norm, you need to pray for patience in my early Christian life. I did, one day. 
I had three flat tires and the transmission fell out of the car that day. It's the last time I prayed for patience. You see, you don't get patience without tribulation. No character without adversity, no pain, no gain. God permits evil to produce a greater good. No forgiveness without sin. To whom much is forgiven, much is appreciated. The best way to the best world. This is not the best world possible, but God is the best being possible. Now, the best being possible must accomplish the best end possible. But this world is the best way to the best end. Therefore, making this world was the best way to achieve the best world possible. God knew that we would never get to the promised land without first going through the wilderness. God knew that Christians would be like tea. Their real strength comes out when they get in hot water. Uh, and God gives us the hot water. God knew that you can't get the imperfections to the surface unless you put the heat on the gold and the imperfections surface. And the heat of this world and the heat of suffering and pain is what makes the imperfections surface. This is the best that free creatures be free to choose their own destiny. God can't force free creatures to choose heaven. That's a contradiction in terms. So now listen very carefully. Sin and evil did not surprise God. He knew it would happen. And in its potential to happen, it creates the opportunity for what is even greater than if it had never happened. Allowing the choice of good and evil is necessary in achieving the highest good. Furthermore, even if such a world could exist, a world where no one had ever sinned, it is still possible that such a world would not be the best possible world. The best possible world would be one where people are truly free to sin, did sin, but despite their sin, God brought about a greater good by allowing it and then providing satisfaction and forgiveness for it. Only in this kind of world can the higher virtues be attained. Permitting sin, to defeat sin, to achieve greater virtues is morally superior to a sinless world where this greater good could never have been accomplished. Told you that would mess with your mind. Here is the ultimate point. Do you want to argue for the good there could be? Because it's too late anyway, right? Arguing that it's that uh, the impossible hypothetical world where no one would have ever sinned, where God would have intervened and said, "Okay, I'm not going to let it happen." You, we're arguing against something that can't happen anyway. But even hypothetically, do you really want to argue for the good that could be? Or would you rather accept the best there can be? A very real world of a God who placed, who paid the price to redeem free sinners who accept His forgiveness by free choice. God has answered that question by creating a situation that will result in the best world there can actually be. He wants you to enjoy it and He wants you to give Him the glory for it. And so, 1 Peter chapter 1 shows us this. 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, in, the, in verses 3 to 5, we see the glory, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. That's the Revelation 21 promise, right? All those wonderful things with no pain or sorrow or anything. Who through the faith, who through faith, We are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the glory. That's why we're going, wow, that's all that's out there. To God be the glory for what He's done. And then verse 6 and 7 show the necessity of the evil. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So, There we are, a big, round, existent problem of evil. It exists, proving God's existence, because it helps us understand there is something other. It is not equal to God, because God is greater. It is not a thing, it is simply the lack or the privation of a good thing. And then getting practical, it persists. It must for freedom to exist. It will stop, it just hasn't stopped yet. It has a purpose, and we can explain some purposes, so it's reasonable to believe that it has purpose overall. And it couldn't bring about anything better. It's bringing about the best possible worlds that's actually achievable. And as a matter of fact, that's why I put this paragraph at the end of your notes. This is the best achievable world in which a good and loving creator, free to create, creates individuals in his image, free to choose, to attain a heaven, now listen, populated by those once free to sin, now free from sin, because that loving God freely paid the price for that sin. If you get that, you go, to God be the glory. Great thing He has done. Better than you could have imagined better than you could have ever realized. Do you want the good there could be, or do you want the best there can be? God has answered that question by creating a situation that will result in the best there ever can actually be. And He wants you to enjoy it, and He wants you to glorify Him for it. The question is, what will you do with that free choice? And that's not my question. That's His question. He takes every one of us And he places us at a fork in the road. And you get to choose whether you are going to trust and obey or if you are going to continue to blame God and complain about the very thing that he endured to draw you to himself. It has a purpose even in its persistence to grant you the best there can ever be. You really want to fight the God who used the very evil that you hate to conquer it and draw you to himself in love and say, wouldn't you want an even greater virtue? The God that loved you when you chose to sin and forgave you for it because you freely chose to accept that gift. And it's a gift. It's why it has to be a gift because you must choose to take it. Have you taken it? You must accept it. 
You must recognize that you need it. You must willfully respond to it by saying, wow, the very evil I created by my choice, God has used in His Son, Jesus Christ, to conquer it and to offer me forgiveness for it. That's the best achievable world. And He wants you to have it. If you don't know what that means, you've got to talk to me or to somebody else up here as a little tag and they'd be happy to pray with you and help you to understand that. And for those of us who have and we struggle with the persistence of it, there's promise. Someday it will be gone. In the meantime, learn what He wants you to learn in its persistence because there is purpose. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for stretching us today and our understanding of You. And I pray that You would be glorified and use these human words to accomplish what You want in human hearts to accomplish your heavenly purposes for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray.